Welcome to the Vision Church Podcast. We're so thankful that you're taking some time today to listen. We pray that this week's message challenges you to press in deeper with your pursuit of Christ. Our mission at Vision Church is to go and make disciples. You can help us in this mission by rating this podcast and sharing it with the world via social media. We want to reach the lost by raising up the found. Thank you again for tuning in today and enjoy the message. If you have your Bible, turn with me today to Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. Today, we are concluding our series, Relationship Goals. Hopefully, it's been a blessing to you. Hopefully, it's encouraged you. There's some of you that are sighing a deep sigh of relief that it's over. So, either way, hope it's been encouraging. Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may eat freely of the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all of the wild animals and all the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. The man chose a name for each one of them. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all of the wild animals. But still, there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of his ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, she is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united as one. Pray with me now. Father, we love you. We are grateful for your word. And today we're thankful for the sweetness of your spirit that is profoundly in this place. Right now, we make up our mind that we're not going to go through the mindless traditions of men. We're not just going to approach this as Sunday as usual. But Lord, today, we ask you to transform us by the power of your word. Do a work inside of us like only you can. You are the potter and we are the clay. We submit our lives to you. Change us and mold us, oh God, we love you. Be strong in my weakness and may I always be hidden behind the message of the cross. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray and everybody said, amen. Today we're gonna be examining the life and marriage of Adam and Eve, the original couple. I promised myself while planning this series, I was not going to preach Adam and Eve, but I just cannot escape it. They are the first and the original. So over the next few moments, we're going to extract lessons from this text that I truly believe are applicable to our lives wherever we are today, whether we're single, dating, hoping to be dating, married, divorced, wherever you are, I believe that God's word is going to speak directly to you today. The first lesson that I want to extract from the text today is your most important relationship is with God. Your most important relationship is with God. Why don't you turn to your neighbor, tell them your most important relationships with him. Before Adam walked with Eve, he first walked with God. 
God is the author of life, the creator of every good and perfect thing. And the truth is, as we walk with God, we discover our identity, our value, our position and purpose. Apart from knowing God, you will never truly know yourself, for you are fashioned in his image and in his likeness. It's in pursuit of God that we truly understand the context of our own lives. The most important relationship you will have on earth is not with your husband or your wife, but it is with the living God. If his foundation, if his relationship, our relationship with him is the foundation, then it will permeate into all other relationships that we have on earth. Many people have asked, well, how do I have a relationship with a God who's invisible? Like, I cannot hear him, I can't see him, I wish I could, but how do I have a relationship with a God who seems distant? I want to encourage you the first way that we have a relationship with God is through the Bible, through his scripture. One of my favorite preachers always says, when you can't hear from God, you can always read God. Anybody believe that he is revealed in his word? John 1 says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Through the Bible, we discover his character, his attributes, who he is. The scripture reveals God Almighty. By the way, the Bible is not a book. It is a miracle. And when you hold it in your hand, it is a library. 66 books written by 40 different authors in three continents, in three languages spanning 1,800 years. Some were written by fishermen, tax collectors, shepherds, and even kings. Yet they all write in perfect harmony and unison God's plan to save the world through his son, Jesus Christ. This is no ordinary book. It is profound. Over the last 10 years pastoring this church, I've studied it and given my life to it. The truth is, the more I've studied it, the more I have become I'm profoundly convinced that that is inspired, God-breathed. It not only reveals God's plan to save us through his son, but it reveals God himself. And the truth is, when we lack a desire to read the scripture, deep down, we lack the desire to know God in a greater way. For that is how he is revealed. And I pray that today that God would creating us a new hunger and a new appetite to study the word of God and may it nourish our soul and re reveal him to us. How do I know God? How do I have a relationship with him? You do it through the word. The next way that we have a relationship with our creator is through prayer. Prayer is more than just squinting your eyes, folding your hands, and speaking in King James language, all right? God's not concerned with the eloquence of your prayer. He's concerned with the motive behind it. And many Christians, especially new believers, they make prayer a one-sided affair, where they just list out all the things that they need God to do for them. God, I need a better house, a faster car, I need all these things. But I wanna caution you that prayer is far more than a petition to heaven. Imagine an earthly relationship where all you did was just list off your every need that you wanted them to fulfill. Imagine if all you did was tell your wife, I need these 17 things and I need them now. God, that would not go well for you. <laughs> prayer is not listing off a list of things you need God to do. Prayer is a conversation between you and your creator. And by the way, here's a revolutionary concept. 
Communication happens in two ways. You speak and then you listen. There's two sides to this. Prayer is not just us talking, but it's also us listening. Scripture says, be still and know that he is God. Scripture tells us that God is in the whisper, the gentle things in life. Often when we look for God to speak to us, we pray for like a sign in the clouds, a billboard, some grandiose expression of his message. But the truth is God is not found in the shouting and the noise of life. He's found in the whisper. He's found in the quiet places, the secret places. Jesus taught us that when you pray, go away to a closet, a closed place, and remove all distractions so that you could lean in and hear the voice of God. Now, I'll just tell you what this looks like for me. I do not hear God's voice audibly, all right? I do not have these magnificent, grandiose experiences with God. But more often than not, when God speaks to me, he recalls his word. He recalls his scripture into my heart in an on-time, in-season way. And that's how God will speak to you. People have often come up with crazy things and say, well, God told me to do it. God said it. Well, homie, hold up. Uh, God will never tell you to do something that's contrary to his word. God speaks through his scripture, which actually brings me full circle back to my first point. And that is if we don't read the word and we don't allow it to be sealed upon our heart, then there'll be nothing to recall in our time of need. Prayer is not optional. The scripture reading is not optional. It is essential for the life of a believer. Just like you need oxygen to breathe and sustain your physical body, so you need prayer and the word to sustain your natural body or your spiritual body. You need it. Look at your neighbor and say, you need to pray. Some of you are having fun with that. <laughs> if God is your first love, if he is your first relationship, then truly his goodness and his kindness will trickle down into every other human relationship that you have. Jesus said in John's gospel, the 15th chapter, he said, I am the vine. My father is the vine dresser. And if you will abide in me, you will be fruitful and very fruitful. This is not just beautiful imagery or vernacular. Jesus is saying, if you will have a relationship with me through prayer, through my scripture, through the fellowship of the saints, if you'll be connected to me, you will bear spiritual fruit in your life. Galatians 5.22 tells us what that fruit is. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the things that exude from the life of someone who's connected to the source. Scripture does not ever teach us behavior modification or to manufacture good works. So many religions in the world tell you, you better be good, you better be nice, you better be kind. And so people strive and strain to do all of these things that meet the parameters and expectations of their God. But I want you to notice this, 
All the scripture is telling you is be connected to the source, have a relationship with Jesus, and these things will flow naturally through your life. A fruit tree, an apple tree doesn't strain to produce fruit. It is the byproduct, the natural result of it being connected to the source. We can tell if you've been with Jesus. Does kindness, does joy, does forgiveness flow through your life? Because you can't be connected to Jesus and not be a little bit more forgiving, a little bit more merciful, a little bit more kind. Can I get a witness? I know some Christian folk who tell us all about how many years they've been in the church and all their spiritual gifts, but they mean. And with all due respect, that ain't bringing anybody to Jesus. We can tell if you've been with the Lord because there will be sweetness, forgiveness, grace, mercy, self-control that flows through your life. After all, look at the prophets of old who were in the presence of God. Every one of them left changed, humbled, molded. They, Isaiah, when he stood in the presence of the Lord in Isaiah 6, he was convinced of his sinfulness and of God's greatness and glory. He realized that he had been forgiven much. Therefore, how could he not forgive those around him? When you have a relationship with God, it becomes the foundation of your marriage, your relationship, how you raise children, how you interact with the world around you. And I'm telling you today, the gospel works. His presence changes lives. And if you'll just love the Lord in prayer, in worship, in the reading of the scripture, these fruits will flow from your life. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect but it means that there's going to be something inside of you that comes from him. While we're on this topic, I wanna to caution you that we cannot allow our priorities to get out of alignment. God being the most important relationship we have should always be first and foremost. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse five, and you must love the Lord God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength. God must come first. The next priority in your life should be your spouse, your husband or your wife, if you're married. You say, well, that sounds pretty basic. Well, you'd be amazed how many people get this wrong. And I'm just going to make up a statistic. It's based on anecdotal experience. 90%, because it feels right to me. 90%, don't tweet it. Don't write it down. 90, I believe that 90% of our marital problems function and are caused by being out of alignment in priorities in our relationship. Either God is not first, your spouse is not first. If you get these things out of alignment, I'm telling you the result is chaos and dysfunction. It's real easy to let the kids usurp your wife's place or your husband's place. I know they're cute most of the time. And, uh, but the truth is, no matter how much you love your children, you should never put them ahead of your spouse. You talk about dysfunction in the family, dysfunction in the marriage. It's not good for your children because then they'll be self-absorbed thinking that the whole world revolves around them. It's not good for your children and it's not good for your spouse and it's not good for you. The right order is God first, my spouse second, my children third, my family fourth, my ministry fifth, and my job and career sixth. 
And for those of you that need to hear it again, I'll say it to this side. God first, spouse second, children third, family fourth, ministry fifth, career last. Some of you don't have a problem putting the kids first because you want to put them in their place, but you do have a problem putting your career and your golf game first. It's getting quiet. It's getting quiet. When you get quiet, I know I'm just right in your driveway, just like smiling outside, like, hey, it's me. You know? So, you know, it's easy to let the golf game, it's easy to let your hobbies or even your career usurp your spouse's rightful place. But I want to caution you, this breeds true dysfunction in your marriage. If the majority of our marital problems come from being out of alignment, if you've ever driven a car that's out of alignment, it gets a little bumpy and turbulent, so does your marriage. So let's get that thing in line. God first, spouse second, then my children. If you'll keep those things in the proper order, you will see fruit that flows from it. The next point in the sermon is you need a job before you need a wife. <laughs> All the ladies say amen. So, so uh, hey, look at your neighbor say, you need a job. Somebody out there is going, I hate this church. I'm never coming back. <laughs> at least you heard the truth while you were here. Oh, well. You know, uh, we think that jo our job is a result of the curse, the fall of man. Sin ushered work into the world. No. Actually, God gave Adam two jobs before he met Eve. Adam had a job and a side hustle. Before he had, before there was DoorDash, there was Adam. He had a side hustle. All right, his first—it's true. Read the Bible; it's amazing. The, his first job was to be a gardener, okay, a tiller of the earth, someone who cultivated the ground, the earth, and then also his side hustle was naming all the animals. He had two jobs. That was a big job, okay. But I'm being a little funny, but I'm also trying to tell you the truth. I can't tell you how many guys I've met. They're like, I need a wife, but you can't even take her to Applebee's because you need. <laughs> if you go to Applebee's, sorry, I just first thing, first thing, it's not in the notes. Okay. But you need a job before you need a wife. You know why? You know why? Because the job prepares you for the wife. The job prepares you for your marriage because your marriage is work. You know, I know Disney told you it's going to be happily ever after, but I'm here to tell you it's going to be work. It's going to be sacrifice. And if you can't be faithful to the job, how are you going to be faithful to her? You can't be loyal. You can't be trustworthy. I'm, I'm talking. I'm preaching to you. And I'm going to show you how this aligns scripturally. The first job that God gave Adam was a caretaker, a gardener of the earth. You know what? As he learned to cultivate the garden, as he learned to sow, as he learned to plant, as he learned to water and prune the garden, so God was preparing him to cultivate the heart of his wife. God was teaching him through his work the character, the integrity that he would need to steward well the heart and the relationship that God would one day bring into his life. And so I'm telling you today, God truly intended us to be workers and producing with our life. And I know that you, I'm going to ruin everybody's retirement plan right now because you thought heaven, you were just going to float around on a cloud strumming a harp. But no, there's going to be work in heaven. No amens. It, I'm just going to let you know God's plan is for you to be 
is for you to produce, for you to be fruitful and multiply even forever. God will assign us responsibilities. That's how he created you. So if you want a wife, get a job. <laughs> Third point, somebody said amen. Third point is it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. God looked at all of his creation. He surveyed all the mountain peaks, the lowest valleys, the depths of the sea, the stars and the galaxies that illuminate the heavens. And he saw all that he created and it was good and very good. But when he saw Adam in isolation, he said, this is not good. The reality is God created us to be social beings. We are made to relate with each other romantically and socially. God created us to be social beings and life is better together. It truly is. One of Satan's oldest tactics is isolation. Isolation. Satan wants you isolated from your creator by the way, that's what sin does. Sin isolates us from God. Even as a born-again Christian, sin robs you of your confidence before God. It doesn't sever you and send you to hell automatically as a born-again Christian. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more, but we should not continue in sin that grace may abound. But sin, still in and of itself, by its very nature, it disrupts and fractures our relationship with God, thus isolating us. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, their initial reaction was not to run after him, but to run away from him. It was not God who distanced himself from Adam and Eve. No, it was we who ran from him. You see, sin robs you of your confidence before God. That's why it is an enemy. It isolates you. Some of you are living in isolation from the church. You think you don't need church. Well, you know, I'm a Christian and I am so spiritual that I don't need the church. Okay, well, when you tell me that, I know you really need to be in the church. <laughs> it's quiet again. Um, so just newsflash, the New Testament church was not my idea or the early apostles of the church. It was not their concept. Jesus Christ, it was his vision for the New Testament church. He is the great shepherd. This is his plan. And have you ever paused to think, maybe somebody at church needs you? The truth is, you need somebody and somebody needs you. I pray that we don't just come into this place to be consumers, to take what we can get and leave with nothing. I pray that we show up to this place with praise already on our lips and we look around for somebody to encourage, somebody to bless, somebody to engage in the presence of the Lord. What if you came to be a blessing to somebody else today? The truth is, we're social beings and life is better together. Satan's tactic, though, is to isolate you from God through sin and to isolate you from his church. And he's real good at that because we get offended. And in 2023, we are offended over everything. <sighs> that parking attendant gave my parking spot to the other car. Never coming back. She did not say hi to me and she looked right at me. I know she saw me. Okay, let me just help you real quick. There's no such thing as a perfect church. Amen. Churches are messy because you go here and I pastor it. <laughs> so don't get it. No, listen, 
it's true, it's true. Churches are messy because they're made up of people. And people are imperfect. And if you hang around long enough, I'll offend you or I'll let you down. That's why we don't put our faith in preachers either. And here's the thing. You got to separate how people in church hurt you from God. Stop blaming God for things people did to you. Stop carrying an offense towards the church because of what somebody in the church did or said. Just because they said it don't mean God did it. Watch out for this isolation because it's Satan's plan to sift you like wheat. All right? Have you ever watched the Animal Planet or the Discovery Channel? It's always the lamb that strays from the flock that the predator goes after. Not to be too graphic, but you know it's true. Why? Because in isolation, you're an easy target. We're better together. Look at your neighbor and say, we're better together. And some of you are married and alone. You live in the same house, but you're emotionally unavailable. You're physically there, but you're mentally somewhere else. You're isolated, even in your own marriage and even in your own home. You don't pursue each other anymore. You're not romantic with each other anymore. You're not even having conversations anymore. Yeah, you're married. You think you checked that box, but you're still living in isolation. I want to warn you, God's plan is for you to come together, for you to pursue each other, for you to engage one another, love one another. Let me warn you that an idle mind in isolation is the devil's playground. That's where temptation comes. And before temptation, before you ever do crazy things, you first conceive it in your mind. I want to warn you, that's the enemy's tactic. Don't allow yourself to be isolated, even in your own marriage or from God or from the local church. While I'm here, though, about it's not good for men to be alone, I do need to address this. Marriage is a wonderful gift, but it is not for everyone. Singleness for some of you, is God's plan. Not a single amen. <laughs> eight eight o'clock didn't respond either. They were just like, uh-uh, I rebuke it in Jesus' name. <laughs> I was like, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, see, you thought that singleness was a curse. But the Bible calls singleness a gift. And whether you're single again or you're single the first time, this is not a wasted season that you should wish away. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, in summary, tells us that singleness is actually a gift. It's a gift from God. Because single people can be fully devoted to God's purpose in their life. They can be fully devoted to God. A married man, his focus is divided between his wife and God, between his children and God. A, a wife, her focus is divided. I can tell you this, yes and amen. I have two little homies under two and a wife, and I can tell you right now, my focus is divided. <laughs> Marriage is a gift, though. It's a gift. <laughs> every, <laughs> some of you don't believe me. Every, listen, every blessing comes with burdens. Every promise comes with problems, but they're worth it. Okay, but, but I want you to hear me, though, in this season of singleness, don't wish it away. Say, God, 
How can I be all in for you now? How can I give you these, these days of my life? Don't spend your whole time single scrolling to the bottom of Instagram, trying to find the next person. Instead, throw yourself completely into the service of the Lord. Throw yourself into his relationship. Serve him. And as you seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, he will supply your every need. And as you pursue the Lord wholeheartedly, one day you'll look up and there shall be, there he'll be. Because if you both pursue Jesus, you're going to end up crossing paths eventually. Singleness is not a curse. It is a gift from God. It truly is. And by the way, like we somehow in the Christian world, we think it's like God's top priority to bring us a wife or a husband. And we become fixated on it. But let me just caution you, God's highest priority is not to bring you a partner. In fact, go back and look at Genesis again. The Bible says that God saw that it was not good for man to be alone. And the very next verse, God creates the animals. <laughs> and it's in your Bible. You should read it sometime. And it's not like God was like trial and error out here. It's not like, oh, you don't like the flamingo? I mean, what's wrong with her? Like, I mean, God, you know, God was not surprised by this. God delayed his singleness on purpose. And by the way, Adam got real familiar with how single he was because even the animals had somebody. The skunk had somebody. <laughs> but not Adam, all right? You know why? Because God wanted Adam to be content with his relationship with God first. Because until God is enough for you, a man or a woman never will be. If you're counting on her or him to fill the void in your heart, you're going to be disappointed and frustrated. And you're placing unrealistic expectations on another human being that was never designed to take God's place in your life. God must be first. And God will prolong that single state until you realize that. No amens, that's okay. Next thing I want to show you really quickly is do not be unequally yoked. Do not be unequally yoked. All the parents in the house said amen. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. I'm going to read it to you from the Bible so you know it's in there. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion does light have with darkness? And what accord does Christ have with Belial? Or what part does a believer have with an unbeliever? And what agreement has as the temple of God with idols, for you are the temple of the living God. This means you are not to marry or date unbelievers. Surprise. Scripture calls this being unequally yoked. An agricultural society 2,000 years ago would have understood acutely what he meant by that. So let me help illustrate a little bit. In these agricultural societies, they would often yoke two animals together by a shoulder harness or across their neck. They would place them side by side so that as they plowed a field that may have been tough, hardened, and fallow, they would have twice the strength, twice the momentum and energy. 
They would pair oxen together, donkeys together. But this ancient society knew one thing. You could put an ox with an ox, and you could put a donkey with a donkey. But you don't want to put a donkey with an ox. You don't want them to be unequally yoked, because here's what happens. One animal will go left, and the other one will go right. One will go forward, the other will go backward. And in best case scenario, they'll go together, but one will outpull the other one, and they'll just end up going in circles over and over. I just described many of your relationship right now. <laughs> it's hitting some of you, hitting some of you late right now. It's, He's going one way, you're going another. You, he's, you're going forward, she's pulling you backward. You're going in circles. Oh, I love you. No, I hate you. Oh, I love you. No, I hate you. I forget. Why is your relationship going in circles? Because you're dating somebody who doesn't see life the way you see life. And we are called to date and marry believers because we're headed in the same direction. We've been given the same mission. We have the same master. We obey his voice. What relationship does the living have with the dead? The living don't date the dead. That's weird. If you're going in circles, if you're pulling in opposite directions, it might just be that you're serving two masters. Do not be unequally yoked. This truly is the word of the Lord. I'm not going to preach much longer today, but Genesis chapter 3, verse 12. The man replied, it was the woman that you gave me. She gave me the fruit and I ate it. Then the Lord asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. The next point in this sermon, take responsibility for your own actions. Amen. Have fun. Look at your neighbor. The other neighbor say, take responsibility. <laughs> You're saying more than that. It's going to be a long car ride for some of you. <laughs> right. Look at the scripture, though. It's amazing. Genesis 3, Adam goes... It was her fault. And she, hey, and you gave her to me. <laughs> Adam, bro, do not blame God for your sin. That's not going to work out well for you. All right? And then Eve's like, well, God, look, yeah, I did it. But it was, it, it was the serpent, the devil. It's amazing how we always want to cast blame on everybody else. But I want to speak God's word into your life today. The fastest way to healing and reconciliation is to take ownership for your own mistakes. And the truth is, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You, me, and the person you're married to, and the person you're, everything. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Stop trying to be perfect. Stop trying to win every argument and walk in, human, in humility and harmony together. Healing begins when we take responsibility for our own mistakes and our own sin. Healing, deliverance, transformation begins when we confess our sin one to another. Satan and sin operates best in obscurity and in darkness. When you confess, there's power in confession. It breaks the power of sin over your life. 
Be the first one to forgive, be the first one to admit, and be the first one to take ownership and responsibility for your own shortcomings in your marriage. Stop blaming your partner for everything that she did, he did, that will never work. Proverbs 28, 13 says, he who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. This is a powerful principle spiritually. God will not heal what we will not reveal. And God will not forgive what you will not repent of. How can God forgive you for your wife's sin? He's going to forgive you for yours. The power of reconciliation, mercy, and restoration is taking ownership for our own shortcomings. Stop blaming everybody else and take responsibility. In closing today, I want to show you Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. In closing, I want to show you the gospel in the garden. Genesis 3, 7. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Skipping down to verse 21. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. So I want to read right there. I've shared this with you many times that the whole Bible often seems complicated, complex, but really the Bible's simple. From Genesis to Revelation, it's about one story over and over again, God's plan to save the world through his son, Jesus Christ. And right here in the very Genesis, the beginning, we see the gospel on full display. Adam and Eve in their selfishness, sin greatly before God. By the way, do you realize that they could have eaten from anything in the garden, any tree except one? In other words, there was only one way to sin in the garden and they found a way to do it. As they sinned, they were immediately overwhelmed with grief, guilt, and shame. They hid from God and they began to sew fig leaves together. They sewed an apron around their waist of leaves to cover their shame, their guilt, and their nakedness. This is the picture of human effort to cover our own shame, to cover our own mistakes. But the truth is, Adam and Eve, as though they created this apron, that evening, a cool breeze blew through the garden. In other words, it exposed them again. Our attempts to do enough good to outweigh our wrong will never be good enough. Our attempts to cover our own mistakes will always leave us exposed and empty. But there's a verse in Genesis 3, 21 that often gets overlooked. It says that God himself shed the first blood of an innocent animal all the way back in the garden to clothe Adam and Eve, covering their guilt, their sin, and their shame. It's the first time we see blood spilled in the history of the world. And it was God himself offering his sacrifice to clothe Adam and Eve. 
Church, this is the picture of our salvation. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans says not one of us are truly good and righteous in and of ourselves. We've all left God's path for our own. We've all been filled with lust, pride, greed, and selfish ambition. And because of our sin, we felt disconnected from God and we've tried to cover our own shame. But every attempt to make yourself right will be futile and empty. But God, although we were lost in our sin, dead in our trespasses, was rich in mercy towards us. He could have condemned us and banished us eternally, but instead he sheds the blood to clothe them not in fig leaves, but in leather to cover them completely. This is the picture of the cross that when we come to Jesus, he, our high priest, became our offering, became the sacrifice once and for all. He himself became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. His very blood was spilled, and now scripture says that we, who have repented of our sin and confessed Christ as the Lord, we are now hidden in Christ Jesus. So now when heaven sees us, it no longer sees us through the lens of our shame and guilt and mistakes. Now when heaven sees us, it sees us covered in the blood of the lamb, covered in the righteousness of Christ. And now by faith, we are covered. We're holy, forgiven, righteous, blameless. There will be no judgment of sin for a born again believer on the day of judgment because it's paid for. It's covered. Anybody thankful for the power of the gospel and the blood of Jesus that was shed? You cannot be a good enough person to make it to heaven. There's only one way to be saved, one way for your sins to be forgiven. It's through receiving the finished work of Jesus. Pray with me now all over this place. Father, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus and we repent of our every sin. We confess that we've loved the things created more than the creator. Our life has been stained by guilt, lust, pride, and greed. And today we repent before you. We change our mind and our heart. We believe that 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on the cross. His blood was sinless and divine. He died and was buried. And on the third day, he rose from the grave. Change my heart, oh God. Create in me a right spirit. Help me to love you and follow you all the days of my life. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, click that subscribe button, share this podcast on social, or even take a screenshot from your story and tag us. We'd love to hear how the Lord is using this podcast to bless your life. You can send an email to info at visionchurch.com or you can DM us on social with a story of how God is moving in your world. Also, we'd like to thank those who invest in our ministry financially. It's because of your sacrifice that we are able to publish this every week. If you'd like to join in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in the description or visit visionchurch.com and click the Give tab. Thanks again for listening. God bless.